with so many podcasts out there, shows can get lost in the shuffle. That's why we implore you to check out Too Many Captains. You can find us at a moviepodcast.com. Five unique takes on Hollywood movies and culture. Find us on Twitter at It's a Film Podcast. Check our intellectual deep dives into theatrical films. Find us on Instagram at Too Many Captains Productions. Unique takes on soundtracks. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash too many captains productions. Find us at a moviepodcast.com on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play. And now, here comes a new episode of Collateral Cinema. I'm Bo Maddox. I'm Ashley Chancellor. I'm Juliet Miranda. And this is season six of Collateral Cinema. <laughs> Welcome to the season six premiere of Collateral Cinema, the only movie podcast that matters, where we focus on good movies, bad movies, and everything else in between in the world of cinema. We're podcasting straight out of somewhere in South Texas, and yes, my friends, we are definitely a 420-friendly podcast, so whatever you have, smoke it if you've got it. And ladies and gentlemen, never go ass to mouth. Never go ass to mouth. Ever. <laughs> Never go ass to mouth. Think Rosario Dawson's words of wisdom. Yeah, yeah, those are definitely words of wisdom. <laughs> well, yes, ladies and gentlemen, we are back for another season of Collateral Cinema. Yeah, pretty crazy. We've been doing these for doing this for six seasons now. Yeah, no kidding, man. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, we've grown a lot along the ways. It's been an interesting five years, needless to say. Yeah, I mean, this would be five years that we've been doing this at least consecutively. I mean, we're not counting the the, uh, the original pilot episode, I guess. Yeah, not entirely, no. Not entirely. And on this auspicious occasion, we actually have, for the first time on our uh, season premiere, a special guest. We have none other than Juliet Miranda from the Unwritable Rant podcast. How are you doing, Miss Miranda? I am excellent. I have been so looking forward to talking with you guys. I know we've tried long and hard to get this set up, and I'm so glad we finally did. I know, right? I, I believe that we tried to get you on our Intruders episode, on the movie Intruders. But uh, I, I think yeah. that you were in the midst of uh, moving at that time. So, yeah, we weren't able to do that. But now we have you on the podcast so uh, why don't you go ahead and uh, introduce yourself to our listeners and uh, describe uh, your podcast and uh, what you do and what it's all about. All right. Well, I am the host of the Unwritable Rant podcast, and I like to call that bourbon-soaked storytelling. Uh, I give about a 30-minute story about some of the crazy misadventures that I've gotten into over time, whether it's you know, dating rock stars or traveling or just living in New Orleans like a crazy person. That's awesome. Wow. Yeah, I've, I've listened to your show before, and it is very unique from, from other podcasts. You know, it kind of stands out, you know, because, I mean, you're pretty much just uh, giving just your day-to-day -day stories and anecdotes of your day-to-day -day life, you know, and 
Yeah, you don't get a lot of solo host shows these days, I'm finding. And the ones that do have very sort of uh, specific areas of conversation with me as a writer, I find that I have the most fun talking about, you know, the you know, goofy exploits that I've had and, you know, what it's like to live in New Orleans. It's just, uh, it's always cool to kind of share these anecdotes with people. Yeah, about that. Was it much of a culture shock moving from where you were at to uh, New Orleans or did you just kind of fit in just well enough or... Well, uh, I'm from Chicago originally, and my husband and I always knew we wanted to move to New Orleans, but we were able to do it sooner than we thought. And it was definitely a strange sort of process to get acclimated to New Orleans, but we'd been here many, many times, so we kind of knew what we were in for. Um, I think our biggest surprise was just how great the people are here. I mean, we have oh, yeah. such a great community of friends. People are so much fun to talk to and hang out with. I mean, we really genuinely have a community here that we never had back in Chicago. That's awesome. We actually have a buddy from Illinois. I don't think he's from Chicago, but, I mean, he's, yeah. from, he's from that uh, area. I love New Orleans. I think it, it is just an awesome place to visit. Uh, my family and I, you know, we used to go uh, like once a year at one point. It, it, I'll fucking love it. Oh, wow. That's crazy. <laughs> Yeah, it's certainly a challenge to live here sometimes, though, just because I feel like my liver might be ready to make an exodus from my body. But you know, otherwise, it's awesome. Oh, yeah, definitely. Based. Totally based. <laughs> well, without further ado, we should go ahead and get started on this movie, which, once again, we warned you not to go ass to mouth here. Ass to mouth. Wait. And if you haven't figured it out yet, we are doing The Human Centipede First Sequence, directed by Tom Six, who incidentally actually follows us on Twitter, believe it or not. Oh, badass. Yeah. Ooh. Doesn't Tom Green follow us, or did he just like one of our tweets? He, he just liked one of our tweets. I don't think he follows yeah, us. But, but Tom Six follows us? That's awesome. Oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> and... I just kind of figured it'd be a good idea to go ahead and bring this movie out because, you know, we do love our disturbing cinema here on Collateral Cinema. I mean, we've done everything from Martyrs to Audition to, man, what else? We did Necromantic. We, we've been all over. Those are great movies. I love transgressive horror. Yeah, it, it really has just a specific flavor to it, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. I mean, when I watch a horror movie, I really want to feel like I'm being run through a meat grinder. You know, I'm, I'm not watching it to feel good about myself or good about humanity. You know, I, I oh, like no. the really weird shit. Oh, no. I mean, I'm looking at my DVD uh, shelf right now, and I have all kinds of uh, transgressive stuff. I have everything from Pink Flamingos to Kill List to, like, all the Gaspar Noe stuff. I mm -hmm. mean... I got, I mean, I got, I got Solo, for Christ's sakes. I mean, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and even, like, the Plague Dogs and stuff like that, so. You've got uh, Caligula, too. Caligula, of course. Gotta That's a Caligula. fun one. Yeah, I have um, Serbian film also in my collection. Oh, see, we haven't, we haven't watched, seen that one yet. I mean, I, I've heard that it's a pretty out there movie. It is. It, it's a bit like a fever dream, um, and it's definitely intense, but I also find it to be incredibly artistic at the same time. Um, it, it's, it's a fantastic movie as a whole. Oh, yeah. I mean, I guess we should check it out sometime soon. It's one of those things that I feel like it's a box you have to check, I think, you know, and... Oh, sure. Definitely. Yeah. I, I've checked a few of the other boxes recently as a, as a cinephile. Bo showing me uh, just... 
a lot of transgressive films. That's just sort of my introduction into the whole genre has been through the podcast, really. That's right. I, I brought his, his <laughs> vanilla ass into this whole world of blood and guts and well, you know, I had a gross stuff. sheltered Christian childhood, so you yeah. know how it is. <laughs> well, you got to come on over to the dark side sooner or later. Yeah, right? Right. <laughs> and this movie, it became quite infamous in those types of circles rather quickly. I mean, I remember when when the initial uh, marketing started for it, I mean, it kind of checked all the boxes for movies of this type, you know, I mean, they were just like, it's really different, it's really raw, but and really in your face, but to me, this movie kind of suffers a little bit from the Texas Chainsaw effect, where, you know, people make the movie sound worse than it actually is. Yeah, I kind of have to agree with you, because, I, like you, when the movie was initially released. It had all this tremendous hype. And I think that's really the best thing that it had going for it was the fact that they kept saying, oh, it's 100% medically accurate. Yeah, that was, um, a, that was a huge selling point for it. You know, when you get that kind of urban legend feel to a movie, it's going to appear bigger than it really is. And then when you really get in there, I've always kind of thought that it never went quite far enough. No, not even nearly. I mean, you barely even see any actual gore here. In terms of graphic content, it's pretty tame. Uh, the disturbing implications, I guess, are really more where this movie goes. Yeah, and there are other examples of transgressive cinema that does that as well. Like, for instance, uh, I'm looking at my copy of Funny Games there. That's another movie that, while not inherently graphic, it still kind of eats at you in a very specific way. Hey, check it out, Bo. You've got Spanish subtitles on this Spanish one. Spanish subtitles. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Fucking awesome. We got the movie playing in the background, and Bo picked the YouTube video that had Spanish subtitles. I don't, I don't know why. It just appealed to me. <laughs> Half the movie is in a different language anyway, so maybe that'll add to it. Who knows? Yeah, that's a very interesting uh, decision that Tom Six made that, to me, reminds me a lot of one of our favorite transgressive directors here, Takashi Miike. Oh, I mean, uh, yeah. His, his work is almost always multilingual. Like, I mean, take Ichi the Killer, for example. I mean, there's English, Cantonese, and Japanese in that movie. Mm -hmm. So... And in this movie, it's in it's set in Germany. It's like, I mean, as far as settings go, I mean, I I've never been to Germany, obviously, but I mean, it looks like it could be a creepy place to set a movie, you know? Yeah. <laughs> well, sure, especially when you bring in all the context that goes around just being in Germany, especially with that lead character who may as well be a Nazi. I mean, <laughs> let's face it. Yeah, there's lots of Nazi parallels, and and we'll get into that here in a little bit, but. I mean, Tom Six's direction, like, it, it really evokes, it evokes more like a Mikhail Haneke and Mike in a, in a way. Like, that mm -hmm. very first shot that we see, like, which is that panning shot that's perpendicular with the highway and everything. Like, I mean, that to me just uh, screams, it, it, it's kind of like, I mean, I'm bringing up funny games. I mean, the beginning of that movie stops with a, starts with a top-down uh, look on a car driving down a, a road. To me, it's kind of analogous to that a little bit. The cinematography's tight. I, uh, yeah, it is. Yeah. It, it's actually a lot a lot more well done than you would think it is. It is. And I especially especially like the way that they kept the house in the movie. It's got this almost labyrinth-like feel to it. Um, and it's just so stark. I mean, the movie is shot incredibly well. 
Yeah, the thing that I noticed about the house is that it's one, it's, it's almost like a long structure. It's not like a really boxy house. Mm-hmm. It's, it's almost like a really, really large trailer in a way. Yeah, but it has an underground. And it has the underground and everything. Of course. But, I mean, I, I kind of wonder if that kind of parallels his idea about, you know, the human centipede having one singular oh. gastrointestine thing. Oh. It's like a visual metaphor for the centipede itself, maybe. Probably. Wow, that's deep. Yeah, that's something that I kind of figured. It's like, yeah, I think that there are definitely, I mean, Tom Six definitely went for some interesting thematic elements here. You know, like, for instance, you know, there are themes of humiliation and also of, you know, just the dehumanization. Yeah, because in the very beginning, when I think that I think it's the two girls are, are at the uh, doctor's house, he has a line where he says something like, I don't like people. I do not like yes. human beings. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He, he's already laying down the hardcore uh, misanthropy there. He just hates people. That's why he does it. He fucking hates people. Yeah. Like, it, it, you know, it's like you realize after he says it and already knowing what I'm going into, you know, watching this movie. Yeah. You know, it's like, okay, so he just he just hates people. And you really actually see that in just uh, Dieter Lazar's uh, facial expressions. Oh yes, he has like one of the most recog- one of the most stark and recognizable faces mm-hmm. in horror that I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, he's very mealy. <laughs> very much so, and just the expressions that he has on his face the entire time, it's like it's like this dispassionate contempt kind yes. of, you know. It's like, you know, he you can tell he hates these people, but he's in a way he's just too apathetic to show it all the way until he finally just decides to engage in this really transgressive act just for the sake of it. Well, and he had more love for his dogs too. I mean, they at least got a tombstone in the backyard where he called it, you know, his lovely three hound. Um, oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. That makes sense. Yeah. Cause he, he specifically says, I don't like human beings. Yeah. So, so, so yeah, I mean, and, and the interesting thing about his dogs is how that kind of has a parallel to uh, Pavlov, you know, like, you know, anything about, you know, Pavlovian, you know, psych- psychology and everything. He, yeah. Yeah, he uh, did a lot of testing on his animals as well. Oof. Yeah. So there's that parallel right there. I bet that breaks her little vegan heart. <sighs> yeah, animal testing, no bueno. <laughs> no bueno. Oh, I come from a family of mink ranchers. I could have a great time with you. Ooh, fun. <laughs> <laughs> no, my... I. I had a uh, sister-in-law who was married to a farmer up in Indiana, and he had, like, a pig farm and everything. Oh. I, I don't think that they're married anymore. but So, I mean, I, yeah, I have some farmers somewhere in the family as well. But, yeah, I mean, I also really love the way that, you know, Dieter, Dieter Lazar and the camera actually interact, you know? Mm-hmm. There's that shot where the uh, Dieter Lazar is just leering over the uh, human centipede and I love how, you know, there's that curvature in his roof and in the room and everything, you know? Like, and, and, and he's placed, like, perfectly in the middle there. And it, it, it really creates this interesting effect where he's just larger than life. Where he's, mm-hmm. It does give him that overlord sort of feel. Yeah, it does. It, it, it really gives him a lot of power, and it really exudes that he's pretty much just, you know... He's pretty much just exerting his authority over these individuals who are no longer individuals to him. Right. And what's interesting is that because he's created a new species, 
he doesn't treat them with the same contempt that he treats humans. Yeah, in a way, once once he actually creates the centipede, he actually kind of... Uh, There's some kind of twisted affection going on. And True, yeah, yeah, there is a little bit more compassion there than he had before. Like, for instance, you know, he eventually feeds the uh, Japanese guy who's the head of the centipede, you know. But, of course, you know, that's part of his whole plan. I mean, he wants to see if that whole, if he can make that one singular gastrointestinal tract. Mm-hmm. Homegirl in the back gets the worst deal. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think I'd want to be in the middle of that. That's true, actually. No. He mentions that that's the one that, that's the worst, yeah. right? Yeah. Oh, nobody wants to be in the middle. I mean, at least at the end, I mean, yeah, you get the worst meal, but you also don't have somebody attached to your own ass. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's true. And if you uh, recall in the uh, movie, I mean, she she earns that because she tries to escape. And it's like the one escape scene in this movie. And honestly, it's like, homegirl, you could have done this like hours ago when he was asleep. Yes. That kind of annoyed me. I feel like, and it's kind of a problem throughout the movie, is that certain things really feel like they could have been worked out better. I mean, I'm I'm always going to be the one to suspend disbelief when it comes to movies, but certain things like that just kind of take you out of the element where you're like, you could easily have chewed your way out of those restraints, you know, four hours ago. Oh, very easily. I mean, the, the doctor, uh, he didn't even... Uh... He didn't even choose particularly strong restraints for that, even. No, they show her getting out of the restraint. She just does it while he's in the fucking room. Yeah, it's like, right. why, would, why would you do that? Yeah, I, I, there's some other decisions, like, you know, you could have used the phone that's sitting there. Yeah, we, we, actually, watched <laughs> a, we actually watched a video that was labeled uh, How to Beat the Doctor from the Human Centipede. And the, the, this dude, he pointed out a lot of these uh, flaws in, in the choices that these characters make. Which, I mean, by the way, let's go ahead and talk about these two main actresses here. Oof. Just oof. Yeah, yeah not my favorite actresses ever. No. Um, I mean, admittedly, they're not working with the greatest character developments either, but something about the way they act and the way they overact in certain scenes or underact, it, I, they feel very grating to me. Yeah, especially in the scene where they're walking through the forest initially after their car has uh, broken down. Their performances just speak to me like, yes, this is what young American women act like. Yes. Yeah, it, it does kind of feel like, you know, Tom Six <laughs> is kind of putting that uh, Dutch lens, that, that foreign lens on Americans there a little bit, you know? Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, if, if you look at a movie like, say, Hostel, you know, where you have a very similar setup, the actors in it pull it off far more believably than these two girls did. Well, I, I would I would argue that the characters in the Hostel they, they were a little better written than this, honestly. Oh, absolutely. They, they, they had a better they they were more likable, for one. Yes. And these girls do not make themselves likable at all. They are not endearing to anybody. Yeah, and that's why, in a way, the movie plays out a little bit like a circus sideshow in that I'm not that invested in what happens to these girls. So when they wind up as, as a human centipede, I'm really more amused than I am either horrified or, you know, concerned for their well-being. Now, what I kind of wonder is uh, how much of that was actually done on, on purpose on Tom Six's uh, account, you know, like what was that deliberate? I don't know. It's hard to say because in certain movies that kind of behavior works. Like if you look at the original Last House on the Left, 
not just the two girls, but you have those two dumb police officers who clearly get everything wrong and could have solved all of this, you know, five scenes prior. Yeah. It's still in that it plays out almost as a gag where here you don't get any sort of comic relief. You don't get any sort of, you know, emotional pull. It's just very flat. Yeah, definitely. And if you want two dumb cops, we've got them too. And the, the human centipede. <laughs> oh, definitely. <laughs> and you have that too. Yeah. Yeah. We definitely have that. It's like, yeah, the, these cops, I mean, they, they, they don't make good choices here either. Mm-hmm. Like, like, for instance, it looks like they don't even know how to clear a house. It's like, I'm pretty sure that's something that they teach cops how to do, you know? I know, I know. Let me just blindly walk into a room with no lights on and see what happens. Yeah, exactly. Like, like, like there's a technique to that, man. There, there's exactly. a way that you go about that, and they act like they don't, they, they, they act like they, they have no clue about that. And, what and it's I would have loved to have seen is when that one officer uh, pops his head in the room where he finds the human centipede and the one girl's like screaming for help. I would have loved to have seen him go into the room, like try to help her and actually like try to pull her head off of the guy, Mm. like, you know, kind of pull her skin away and then maybe infuse a little bit more gore into this. I think that could have been very cool. That would have been really awesome. I mean, and and it would have... And it would have really upped the stakes a little bit. Yeah, or really, you know, towards the third act of the movie, if there's if just having them at least attempt to rip their faces away, that that could have been really effective. Yeah, it could have. Well, near the end of the movie, we kind of get that a little bit, you know, when they're trying to go up the stairs, when the centipede itself is trying to go up the stairs and everything. Yeah, we do, actually. You're right. It's a little bit, but it's not nearly as gory as no. you would think it is. Right. And, you know, even, I mean, since the movie is 100% medically accurate, when you look <laughs> at it, it probably, I mean, it would hurt, yes. However, that skin has been grafted on, so it's probably dead you might not get as much pain as if, you know, you were peeling your own skin off. I, I don't know. Yeah, probably. And, and you know, the, the whole thing where the girl at the end gets sepsis, that, that tracks. I mean, in yeah. the end, she's, mm-hmm. getting a, she's getting, like, double doses of shit in her mouth. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's like, yeah, it says that it's medically accurate. It's like, I don't know. It's like, it seems to me that there's just no way that anybody could get nutrients that way other than the person at the head. Oh God, no! They they'd need IV infusions or something. It's just a, uh, but it is a very clever gimmick. It is definitely a clever gimmick. You know, it, it kind of feels like to me the, the whole gimmick behind the human centipede. It kind of evokes a little bit of crazy Japanese cinema. Like it really does kind of feel like something that maybe Takashi Miike or who else? Maybe even some like the Tokyo Gore style directors would probably come up with. It- it absolutely does, and for the life of me, I can't remember it, but I swear there is a movie that does something very similar to this, and it's going to drive me nuts until I remember it. But, but yes, to your point, absolutely. I'm sure we've seen this before. Honestly, I know exactly the type of series that something like this would fit in. It would fit in well with the guinea pig series. Yes, absolutely. Yes. And, I mean, if you, if you don't know about the guinea pig series in Japan... <laughs> It's a very interesting series of transgressive movies. Like, the most infamous one is Flowers of Flesh and Blood, which I happen to have right here on my shelf. That's one of my favorites. I I also like Mermaid in a Manhole. Oh, that one is so gross. I know, I know. It's just foul, but it's also kind of beautiful in its own way. And and then they even have a couple that are almost kind of slapsticky in a way, but but very gory. Didn't somebody remake The Devil's Experiment? They did, yeah, yeah. It was American Guinea Pig. 
Okay, that's what I thought. And they made three of those movies as well. But yeah, I mean, that, that's really what the whole uh, human centipede conceit reminds me of. Now, another thing that I want to kind of question here is, does this movie really fall under the torture porn banner, or is this something else? I would look at this more like body horror. I mean, something along the lines of Tusk. Oh, definitely. Yeah, definitely Tusk. Oh, I still need to watch that. Like a Kevin Smith horror movie, that sounds incredible. Oh, yeah. I actually prefer it over Human Centipede. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it, it kind of seems to have a little bit more humanity to it, really. It does. And I love the ending of it. It's just so bleak and weird. And yeah, so bleak. And you're just like, oh, this poor dude. Yeah. Damn. <laughs> yeah, but it, it does end rather bleakly, Ash, just in case you didn't know. Well, you but, know. You know, to your point, I, I don't think it really qualifies as torture porn because although these characters are put in a very, very awful, horrible situation, you know, movies that are called torture porn rely more heavily on gore and, you know, more of a higher pain threshold, I think, for the viewer than this does. Because like we said earlier, this movie doesn't really have a lot of gore in it. Yeah. And, and I mean, that kind of, I mean, I'm, I hate going back to Takashi Miike over this, but I can't help if, but think of Audition as being kind of the same way. I mean, that, that's a movie where that, that actually supposedly influenced a lot of like what Eli Roth did with uh, mm -hmm. Hostel and everything. It was a huge influence. I mean, that, that, that girl was actually in Hostel. She oh. was in there. And that's a movie that gets a bad rap for being torture porn, but to me, it's just a... Uh, dramatic romantic horror movie that happens to have a fucked up ending i agree i mean i i think imprint um is far more in line with torture porn yeah than... very much so yeah that that has a true to life torture scene like even each of the killer has more torture porn to it absolutely yeah, yeah definitely exactly yeah yeah that that scene where homeboys uh, hung up by the hooks yeah 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 uh, yeah it's been especially um was the movie we just an uh, imprint <laughs> yeah imprint, def, definitely imprint yeah that, that was yeah. incidentally our last uh, anniversary episode that we did so yeah check that out but i'm look i'm watching this movie another thing that i notice is how you know the color grading is in this movie it's very blue well it's only really blue in the uh medical scenes in in the basement uh, lab yeah it it seems almost um clinical i mean throughout the whole movie it's just so clean and stark yeah and, and the only the only real color you see are usually like really sharp oranges and reds more mm -hmm. or less kind of mixed together like especially in the scene where we're finally introduced to the full uh, centipede in his uh in his living room with that aforementioned uh, scene of him leering over it and everything mm -hmm. and i mean it's like that is just uh drenched in this really warm kind of uh very lively light you know it's it's very very stark when you contrast it with the rest of the movie mm -hmm. and did you happen to notice the artwork that the doctor had on his walls yeah that's something that i wanted to touch on like especially when he first uh he first brings the uh ladies into his uh his living room yes and, th and then they uh what's interesting is that they sit on the couch that one uh painting of the siamese twin baby mm -hmm. is on the wall and then right in front of them are three candles, you know? So once again, I wonder if that's more foreshadowing of the, uh, of the centipede itself, possibly. 
You know, I think you're right in that. It it absolutely is. And seriously, gals, if you're walking into a house and the guy's got some gigantic, gory photo of Siamese twins on his walls, I mean, run. Just run. Don't <laughs> don't fucking take water from him. Come don't, on. Take, no, don't, don't take, take a drink. Don't take don't a take drink. A drink from any stranger. Come on now. Don't don't drink anything that you can't open yourself. Yes. Seriously. Especially when you're al- alone in a foreign country. Yeah. I mean, I remember that video that we were talking about. One of the things he pointed out that it was probably a dumb idea to go off to some random party in another country by some random, by some rando that they met. Like, that just screams human trafficking. hmm Like, 100%. And, yeah, I mean, the rest of the house, as far as the coloring is concerned, it's very white. Very, very white with a little bit of a bluish hue to it. Mm-hmm. You know? And e- even the way that the house is colorized on the external. Like you have that really, really deep green of the uh, of the lawn and of the uh, surrounding uh, foliage and everything, and then you just have this house which is just this like white beigeish kind of color, and it just stands there. It's like it, it almost feels like you know the uh, house in Hansel and Gretel, just not made of candy. Okay, you know, which very I, intimidating. It's it's very intimidating. Yeah. Like, I mean, you're walking up to that. It's like, I don't think I want to knock on the door. Like, no, just... no. And when you go in, you're, you're afraid to, you know, track dirt into the house, that kind of thing. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, we're at the scene where he's, uh, he's burying the trucker now. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah. By the way, he is not subtle about anything that he's doing here. Like, it's no wonder that the cops eventually get, get on his trail because it doesn't look like he's taking a whole lot of care in what he's, his little endeavor here, you know? Like, like here he is pulling up. Like, he just has this Japanese dude in the back of his car. Like, I mean, he looks like he did this in broad daylight. It, it almost seems like he doesn't care if he's caught. Uh, there are, you know, just, just points. Because, like, if these two girls could have just wandered to his house, it's not that secluded. No, it really isn't. Like, it, it, it can't be that secluded. Yes, um, I was wondering if I could get driving directions to a nightclub called... Hello, sweetie. No, we're in Germany right now. Maybe we can talk to you later? All right, we miss you. Bye, Amy. Bye, sweetie. I think we're supposed to turn. I thought you knew exactly where we were going. What was that? We're on a road trip through like Europe. A, yeah. Can you call uh, the emergency car service for us? You have a really lovely home.
somebody if they could wander to the door, somebody could be just a, a you know eye distance away easily. Yeah, you, you would think so. So I think I think the reality is is he doesn't give a fuck. Honestly, I I think what it is he kind of wants his creation to be discovered. Maybe yeah. I think you're right. Yeah, like look what I have done. Yeah, look what I did for reasons. Well, you know, truly he is the the Shao Tucker of his generation. <laughs> he, he, he is truly a scientist. In case you don't know, Shao Tucker is a character in Full Metal Alchemist that does something very heinous scientifically. Very heinous. But it, it's kind of a meme now, so. Ha. But, yeah, anyway, I, I want to talk about this whole presentation that he does before he does the surgery. I mean, it, it almost feels like he's, he's almost like a Bond villain, practically, right? Yes, yes. He spends so much time monologuing that he loses all impact. Seriously, it's like, I mean, it, it feels like a uh, big villain speech that you give to the hero, you know, like, this is what I'm going to do and you can't stop me. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, I, I hate to rewrite people's movies, but whenever I criticize something in my head, I'm always like, well, how would I have done it better? And I think what actually could have been a little bit more effective is kind of showing the surgery in stages because it, it's hard to conceive of him doing all of this surgery at once. But if you kind of keep doing like little pieces of it and then wheeling people back in, you know, all bloody and with, you know, missing, you know, pieces of skin and all of that. Yeah. And then maybe at the end, kind of giving them the, you know, PowerPoint presentation as if, you know, here's how it's all going to come together. You could build a little bit more fear that way. And I think that as far as how it could have been uh, directed and framed, like maybe you could have had like, uh, like you said, have the surgery in different stages, but have like title headers in between, mm. you, yeah. know, uh, you know, like titling the different stages of each uh, surgery. Yeah. That could be cool. Like, like I'm talking like pulling like a Lars von Trier or a Pasolini mm -hmm. or something like that, you know? Mm-hmm. Like that would I can absolutely see that. That yeah. would be cool. Yeah, definitely. Okay, yeah, we are actually at the monologue. Like, I mean, Dieter Lazar himself, let's talk about him. May he rest in peace, for one. May he rest in peace. He, he died maybe about a year or two ago, unfortunately. Yeah. Oh, I had no idea. Yeah, no, he, he passed away recently. And he was in the third Human Centipede movie. He played the warden. Okay. Yes, I remember that. Yeah, now that movie... That that's gonna need an episode all its own. Like mm. each of these movies are gonna need an, a uh, their own episode because this stuff gets hard after the second movie. Well, and I understand it gets meta after this. Like yes, it does. It's <laughs> deeply meta. Even the third movie is it, it takes the meta, it takes meta to its logical extreme. Right. There, like you even have Tom Six as himself in the movie doing <laughs> research at, to make his other uh, new movie, but. I mean, as far, as far as Dito Lazar is, I mean, there are moments where he is very menacing, very intimidating. You feel like it's like, oh, shit, you know, this dude really means business. And then there's other moments where he kind of almost has a bit of a Tommy Wiseau feel to him. Yes. <laughs> Real Tommy Wiseau feel to him. Like, like, especially in the delivery of his lines. It's like, it screams Tommy Wiseau to me. I mean, especially the, the, the part where you see his ass... I mean, it just reminded me of show ass to sell movie. Yeah, yeah, show ass. You got a necessary to show ass to sell this movie, Greg. Straight up. <laughs> show ass to sell movie, Greg. Exactly. And he does. He does that. Meanwhile, while the the damn human centipede is just right there. I know, just sitting there watching. <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah. What, what's the point, dude? Why, why are they there? 
Yeah, but I mean, his acting, like, he, he bless his heart, rest his soul and everything. I mean, it's a little off and on here. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I, I think physically he had all of the right attributes for the role. I mean, like we were saying before, he's got that, you know, really pasty sort of creepy Nazi-like look to him. But as as an actor himself, I mean, I think you hit it on the head when you compared him to Tommy Wiseau because he's either so ridiculously over the top or so, you know, under the wire that I don't really know what to make of him. And I also had a little bit of a hard time understanding him because he spoke English, but it wasn't very good English. No. So it just, it kind of takes you out of the moment. I can, I can see that. Well, you know, it's actually funny because the way we watched this movie, uh, there weren't even subtitles for the foreign languages. So most of the movie is either Dieter, Dieter Lazar's accent, which is sometimes hard to understand. And we don't really have, uh, we have like, we have the YouTube automatic captioning on. So it wasn't always completely accurate. It's either that or it's foreign languages that we don't understand or it's muffled yeah, exactly. <laughs> Screaming. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was the entire movie experience for us. And honestly, it was actually an interesting way to view it, this movie. Yeah, I, I would say so. I mean, just taking the foreign languages out, like we don't even know what the fuck they're saying to each other. So it, it just, y at one point, you weren't sure if that was actually in the original movie. <laughs> yeah, I, I was just like, wait, <laughs> did, were, were there subtitles in the original movie? When I, on my, because I, I have it on DVD. And I'm trying to remember if you had to turn the subtitles on or not for that. I don't know. Yeah. But I, what's interesting is that, I mean, I think that in Hostel, uh, Eli Roth did something similar. Like there were, there were scenes where there's untranslated, uh, untranslated German and untranslated uh, Slo Slovakian or whatever that is. True. But in there, it's so short. It's, it's not the entire duration of the movie. It's just that one particular scene. And I feel like there it's far more effective because then you really grasp the terror of, oh my God, what is he saying? I don't know what's happening to me. Here it's already been spelled out to you. Yeah. Yeah. And I can see how Tom Six would have done that deliberately because, I mean, in the end, this is about, you know, two American women that are in a foreign country going through this ordeal. So True. it would make sense that uh, for us Western audiences... You know, like we would be in the same scenario, you know, not knowing what the fuck they're actually saying and just be like, oh, dear Lord, what's actually going on here? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I think that's how the Japanese guy feels. Oh, definitely. <laughs> Katsuro, like, I think. Yeah. Katsuro. Yeah. And I wonder if that's specifically why he put him at the front of the chain was so that he wouldn't like how the doctor wouldn't understand what he was saying. And he could kind of, you know, dehumanize him even more so because he's not actually using words. He's just unintelligible. And yet he still manages to uh, whenever the going gets tough and they actually have a chance to escape, he takes the lead and everything. Even in his yes. uh, uh -huh. in Japanese, he say left, right left mm -hmm. right and then you know directs them to go up the stairs and everything you know it's funny we didn't have subtitles but i understand just enough japanese to like pick up a word here and there that he's saying yeah so it was actually kind of kind of interesting to kind of look at it in that context i like i like the part where he's facing Dieter lazar and he's you know he's got the the, the piece of glass and he starts talking and you're like and you and I were like, what's he saying? But then I, I heard him say Kamisama, and I was like, oh, fuck. He said God. <laughs> he just said God. It's like, and, and apparently what he was saying is that, you know, he was a, 
you know, he's a fuck up, you know, he abandoned his wife and children, and that ultimately he deserves death, so he pretty much just commits to seppuku. Yeah. So, you know, that's just, and I think for him, he was completely dehumanized. And, and what's funny is he actually got the best end of the deal, objectively. He objectively, did. yeah. I mean, <laughs> at least he gets to eat, at least he gets to eat real food. <laughs> well, who knows what he was really being fed, but either way. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't shit. Exactly. It wasn't being forced into his mouth. Well, I don't know. Maybe it was shit. Maybe it was shit. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but it wasn't forced into his mouth. See, he could talk even. But I think I like how that is actually used, I think, to dehumanize them as a unit because we're actually following the American women. They're our alleged protagonists. Mm -hmm. So whether or not you're supposed to root for them, I, I'm not too sure. But from their perspective, you know, neither one of them can speak. The only part of the centipede that can speaks Japanese, which nobody else there understands. So it's like... I think, you know, what the humanized was the right word. I think you said it best, you know, like they just completely lost their sense of identity in I, every way. And then up to that point, you know, the only person that's speaking English is Dieter Lazar, who can barely speak the fucking yeah. language. Right, right. So, I mean, it kind of creates this sense of dread, really. Mm -hmm. You know, it's something that, you know... I, I would even posit only really English speakers really feel, but I guess that if you're a foreign, per, if you're in a foreign country like any, and you speak any language, it's going to be the same way, I would imagine. But I feel like this is especially a Western kind of fear, you know. Oh yeah, and it's just generally the you know, like in Hostel where uh, the one character is at the police station reporting his friend missing, and the officer is. Ooh, you are far from home. It's it's that sense of, you know, not belonging and, you know, being away from your people. And that in itself is terrifying. Oh, yeah. And, and very alienating as well. I mean, there, there's a lot of alienation and isolation in this movie, like especially yes. especially with the uh, actual uh, with, with the actual setting. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You really feel that they are, you know, remote and that there is nowhere for them to go, even if they do make a breakaway. Yeah, but it's also very emblematic of uh, Dieter Lazar's character himself. I mean, he, he went he went out of his way to isolate himself from humanity. Yeah, you know, true. And it's in, in the end, it was where he was able to conceive this magnificent creation, you know, so. Yeah, I mean, it would make sense that he would uh, kind of want everything to be very sterile and very isolated. Well, you know, it's what he was willing to do for the sake of science, bro. For science. <laughs> for science. <laughs> he did have a much loftier goal, yes. Yeah. I mean, his, the other thing is, is that his motives are just never really expounded upon. I mean, he did this just to do it. Just to see if he could. Yeah, like, why a centipede? I, I uh, yeah, that it, because I I would love to have seen, and I think they did this in the second one. I don't remember or not, but I would have loved to have just seen him with a pet centipede. <laughs> that would have been cool. Yeah, he actually has a little centipede in a in a little aquarium or a terrarium or whatever. Yeah, so, you know, yeah. and then you could like you know feed it whatever they eat. I don't know crickets rats, I don't know, feed it, whatever. And then you'd have that scene where it's eating it. And then him like, you know, getting all excited about it. I, it would, I, I feel like it would just give a little bit more depth to his character and a little bit more explanation, you know, behind what it is that he's doing. 
Plus, it would have made an interesting parallel with the human centipede itself, you know, exactly. even more foreshadowing. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Now, the ending itself, let's talk about that for a little bit, because that is a bleak ending, man. I mean, talk about being in between a rock and a hard place. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, oh. Jesus. You know what, though? She's probably going to be okay. Two police officers went missing that probably reported their address or location in some way. You so. would hope so. But she will have trauma the rest of her life. So, you know, yeah. define okay. You don't get over that. <laughs> oh, no. I mean, she's going to have scarring and all that shit. And then she had to live with the fact that she had to shit in her friend's mouth and she died, you know. Mm -hmm. Katsuro I'm, didn't want to live with it. No, no, he didn't want to live with it. He, he, he checked out in the first, first moment he could. Yeah. And he, he was probably, and he was the one person who had the m most choice in that, that matter. Yeah. yeah, he did. Absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah I, I don't, I don't know. I didn't hate the ending, but I also didn't think it did enough. I, I really would have liked to have seen a little bit more to it than just kind of this drawn out chase scene that led up to it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I guess the chase scene itself is all right. I mean, it, I guess you kind of had to have that in this movie, you know? I was really annoyed when uh, the, the kid got the scalpel and instead of going for the guy's Achilles tendon, he just like plunged into his foot and then, I don't know, like his calf or something when he could have done a whole lot more damage and truly hobbled the doctor. Yeah. And then why did he take a bite out of his neck? I never really understood that. Yeah, that was a very weird thing. Like, m maybe that's to kind of, you know, bring the dehumanization full circle. But there's a moment where they're, they're moving away and he's still got the scalpel stuck in him. And it's like, finish the job. Don't exactly. take fucking chances and take the scalpel with you. <laughs> exactly. Yes, take thank the scalpel, you. Take, take the scalpel with you, do a quick slice of the jugular, and he's done. Like, I mean, come on now, people. But, I mean... I remember when I first saw it, I mean, I thought that the ending, I mean, it was a logical conclusion, but yes. I can see where you're, what you're saying that, you know, it did left me wanting a little bit, like more, like more than anything. Well, that's what sequels are for, right? Oh, yeah. Very true. And what a sequel this movie has. <laughs> <laughs> Two of them. Two of them. And the, the uh, all he did and what he did is he just added more people to his centipede. Yeah, yeah, they just go bigger with it, huh? Oh yeah, they just go bigger and grosser. Nice. Yeah, because in the second movie, it's not done by a doctor. This time. Oh no, 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 no! It's done by that uh, that wacko what security guard? Yeah, he's a security guard, I guess. Yeah, and yeah, that one. Like he 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 just uses staples and shit. Like I mean, he, oh he yeah yeah, it was it was hardcore hillbilly medicine. Yeah, but. no, he he took he gave no fucks. <laughs> also, there was a lot more sexual violence in that movie. So true. Yes. Yeah yeah. Look, there's like no no sexuality in this movie whatsoever. It's That's devoid true. of it. Yeah. Like I mean, I I feel th this is actually almost an asexual movie. In a way, it is, yeah. Especially, I mean, just looking at the actor who played the doctor, you know, he certainly has zero sexuality to him. Uh, what he's creating, I mean, you, the chicks, really, I mean, they're topless for the whole thing, but you never really see anything, and there's no. Um, he clearly has no interest in sex, so um, 
I don't know if adding it would have enhanced the movie or not. It probably would have made it creepier, but not necessarily better. I don't think it would have uh, made, done anything for this movie at all if he did that. I mean, I, I think that it was the right choice, you know. I mean, you're already going so hard on such a bonkers concept that's uh, this already crazy body horror thing. And mm -hmm. it's like, I don't know, like, I mean... I guess he found a way to, like Tom Six found a way to incorporate that in the Human Centipede 2. But even then, I think that that kind of makes that movie a little too over the top in its own right. Yeah, I, the movie, it's the sequels, I'm really not a fan of. Out of them all, I still prefer the first one. Um, I appreciated that they did go more over the top when it came to things like, you know, uh, just being grislier and a little more raw but I also didn't like the way they were shot and I definitely don't like the way they were acted. Yeah. I mean, the decision to make the second movie black and white, I mean, Ugh. I understand that it was a, it was a ratings thing. It, it, it was either that or his movie was not going to be certified, which I would have been like, well, release it anyway. Who cares? <laughs> you know, so many directors, especially today. I mean, we've proven that you don't need to have your movies released in a movie theater to be successful. And when you have something that has such a cult following, you can easily release it online and people will pay for it and buy it. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I would I would say that maybe to a degree, Terrifier kind of comes under that. Yes. Like that, that, that's a movie that the internet really got behind. Mm-hmm. You know? And, and, and to the point where it has a sequel coming out. And I would have loved, I mean, I don't, I don't know if one exists or not, but I would have loved to have seen Eli Roth do some sort of director's cut on Green Inferno because that movie did not go nearly as far as I think it should have. I think there is a director's cut. I don't know. I, I think there's at least an unrated version. I don't know if there's a director's cut. I've seen the unrated version, and it still isn't what I feel the movie should be, especially if it's an homage to Cannibal Holocaust. But oh, yeah. I mean, that's, that's something that you really need to go hard on the realism and on the grisliness. You there. do. Mm -hmm. you, you got to go hard on that because, I mean, Diodato was so uncompromising with Cannibal Holocaust. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you watch that, and it is—it feels very, very real. Very real, like scarily real. I mean, especially with all the animal deaths, which I don't mm -hmm. condone. But you know, but yeah, yeah. I, I can see what you mean there. I mean, yeah, that movie could have used an actual director's cut. So, Eli Roth, get to that. <laughs> <laughs> Not to take us off topic or anything. I just yeah, fell down right. that wormhole momentarily. Yeah. Uh, well, that's that's very collateral cinema, actually. Yeah, so yeah. Don't worry we, about it. We go on <laughs> tangents all the time on this podcast. <laughs> it's kind of our thing, you know. That, that's what you get when you hang out with with us. Nice. Anyway. Well, especially when you're talking about horror movies, it's hard to avoid because there's so many comparisons that you can make to things. Right. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, we we made a bunch of comparisons just now and everything. I like the movie, but I don't love the movie i wish it was more right right now yeah yeah let, let's go go ahead and go into final thoughts what, what are your final thoughts on the movie juliet well what i love about it one is the sort of urban legend that leads up to it i love the hype that it had and that really made me want to watch the movie but overall for as well as it's shot and for as creative as it really is and what it's doing and how it turns that whole you know abducted traveler thing on its head I still feel like this movie could be so much more just with a little bit more thought put into the script, you know, and definitely the addition of some more, you know, well-placed gore. 
Um, but that being said, I, I think it's a fun watch. You know, it's the kind of movie you put on when you're drinking with your buddies and, you know, you want to just have a good time, you know, laughing at some wacky horror movie. That's exactly how I would I would approach it. I mean, that, that's pretty much what we were doing last night. We were just popping beers and watching this movie. <laughs> and it, it was fine. I mean, it's it's not anything that you really have to think too hard about. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Which is why even watching it without most, you know, half the dialogue was actually fine. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you still kind of got the same takeaway from it. Really, honestly, I did. I mean, I, if anything, it may have even enhanced <laughs> the experience. <laughs> oh, definitely. Definitely. But, uh, Ash, what are your final thoughts here? You know, uh... It is a lot of fun. I, I actually kind of had a blast with it. It does some things that are interesting, you know, but I, I guess it's not really anything that we haven't seen anywhere else. And, you know, and I, I definitely agree that it could have gone a little far, further with it. Oh, definitely. Definitely. You know, it could have gone a lot farther, but overall, I mean, it's it's a fun movie. It's worth, saying, you know, checking checking a box, I think. It is kind of one of those check-the-box movies, you know, and, and a lot of that is because of the overall hype that it received. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Also, never go ask to mouth. Never go ask to mouth. <laughs> never. Just glass to mouth. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, my final thoughts are, you know, it's not really one of my favorite movies in the genre of transgressive extreme cinema, but I think that it's definitely passable at least you know Dieter Lazar is very hit or miss I mean I think that he definitely has the look of a real iconic horror character like he fits that mold and a lot of his actual mannerisms and everything are very creepy like he has a very leering like authoritative quality about him that's mm -hmm. very off-putting and the way that Tom Six frames him and actually you know gets him to act villainous it's it can be compelling at times but other times like i said it's real tommy Wiseau style camp to it, you know <laughs> i think that's that's part of the charm yeah it's it's, it's definitely part of the charm yeah and i mean i definitely agree that the horror elements they could have been ramped up a little better here like like, for instance, I love the idea of framing the surgery a different way. I love that idea. It would have, it would have made the actual surgery itself have some stakes, I feel. Uh-huh. You know? And th the gimmick itself, like I said, it's very kind of emblematic of transgressive Japanese cinema. So it definitely kind of wears those influences on its sleeve. And I do feel that there's a little bit of a, a little bit of an homage to uh, Mikhail Haneke here and how the how the shots are composed, you know, and everything, and also in the color grading and how it's framed and whatnot. But, yeah, a better script would have really made this a absolute memorable movie. Like, I agree. Yeah, I mean, the characters, they really could have used some polish, like especially these two main actresses. Yeah. There's, oh, God. There's just nothing that they do that is endearing. And I, I remember we were watching... Uh, uh, Felon Porteus's uh, Felix's review of this, and he hated this movie. He hated it, <laughs> and, he, and he was just like oh, yeah. these these actresses. I hate them before they <laughs> anything's even happened to them, and I could see that. I know you look forward to them getting their mouths stapled to somebody's ass. Yeah, and 
you know, I kind of liken that a little bit to House of a Thousand Corpses because those main characters like are absolutely unlikable, but somehow you still kind of get behind them in the end. And here you don't you don't have that. I mean, you can tell that Tom Six is going for that, but all those flaws aside, it's still a fun movie. It's a lot of fun, mm -hmm. and I think that that's the best way to approach it. It's it's fun and also. It's a good movie to show somebody to who's just getting into extreme cinema and extreme horror. It's something that's, you know, not too graphic, not too messed yes. up. You know, it's it's kind of like I would say like hard candy or funny games or something like yeah, that or American yeah, baby Mary. steps. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, those are those are baby steps. It's like baby's first extreme horror movie. Mm -hmm. You know. But I mean, I I say it's like just you can find this movie for free on YouTube. That's where we're watching it right now. But you can also uh, get it for get it on demand. And honestly, the DVD is not that difficult to find. Like you, you can find it easily for not even eight or nine bucks. So, so if if you want to go that route, it's very easily attainable. And and I believe that it's also on Shutter, right? I think it's on Shutter. No, it's no, not, not because I looked for it on Shutter and I didn't see it. Man, when I had Shutter, they had both of the original, the first and the second sequence. So yeah, it's that sucks that it's not on there, but it's still pretty easy to find this movie. So definitely look it up if you want to get into the sequels. I mean, your mileage may vary there. I mean, it, it's they're really over the top movies and. And really, I mean, Human Centipede 3 is a comedy. It is, yeah. And as much as I love Eric Roberts, <laughs> I can't even handle his character in that movie. <laughs> no. <laughs> and especially, you know, you, you have the two main characters from the, the two main villains from the first movie, like Dito Lazar comes back in that, and he's even more over the top there. He, yeah. He even goes almost more full on Tommy Wiseau in that fucking movie. Yeah, th those are really, I, I say they're hard watches, not because, you know, morally or, you know, whatever, but just hard to watch because it's just that painfully bad. Yeah. <laughs> but is it so bad it's good? No, see, I would say the first one is so bad that it's actually kind of good. The second and the third ones, they're tedious. Oh, yeah, definitely. Very tedious. A qu quick question. Have you heard about uh, Tom Six's new movie that's come out, The Onania Club? I was wondering about that. I, I meant to do a little bit more digging into him today, and I didn't get around to it. So what is the premise of the new movie? The premise of the new movie is apparently there's this club of elite women who like to get together, watch some horrible, 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 fucked up shit, and just have themselves a circle jerk. Like a literal oh. circle jerk. Okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, they get themselves off to just horrifying shit. <laughs> wow. That's the premise. So it's like, damn, Tom Six, you, you, you wow. scary. <laughs> Do they play Soggy Biscuit? Oh, I hope not. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's the premise of his new movie. I would, I would watch it, you know? Because, oh, I, mean, I would absolutely watch it. I'm I'm a little concerned that it's lacking in plot, but... <laughs> I would imagine it probably will be. I mean, <laughs> who knows? Maybe he banged out a decent script for it. I, I don't know. You, know you, you never know with these sort of indie filmmakers. Did, did you ever see the movie Found? It's about the boy who discovers the, uh, the head in his brother's... I actually, uh, I actually have Found. I have that on DVD. 
I love the movie and I started doing some digging and watched some other things from the director and they're so over the top. Uh, like he dialed in on the, you know, uncomfortable, wacky, you know, horrible humanity. Oh, very much so, especially near the end of that movie when he attacks his family. Like I know, yeah, I know. That's really hardcore. And and also that uh, movie within a movie that they have, they, they actually made that into a full-length movie. I know. I, it, I, I had to dig that one out of the... Uh... It's headless, <laughs> the I think. bowels it's, of the internet. It's called it's headless, I believe, right? Yes. Yeah. And I remember seeing a scene out of that where it was just, like, really over the top. It had, like, a big old power drill with mm -hmm. one of those dowel bits on it and it involved... Uh, it, uh, yeah, it was very gross. <laughs> I don't even want to say what else it had in it, but it's like, yeah, kudos to y'all. Y'all know how to make some extreme horror. I mean, it's, it's not Fred Vogel horror, but, I mean... Yeah. You know. But anyways, yeah, that's our thoughts on The Human Centipede. It's definitely pretty okay, but <laughs> there's certain things that you might might not like, but certain things you will. So It's definitely pretty okay. I like that. It's definitely pretty okay. Like, I just like, hey, it's okay. But with that, we'll go ahead and start wrapping things up. And this is the part where when we have a guest host on, we let them go ahead and plug their show. So, Miss Miranda, go okay. ahead. Plug your shit. Well, uh, the Unwritable Rant podcast can be found wherever you find all of your favorite podcasts. There are 260-some-odd episodes. You don't have to listen from the very first one. In fact, I recommend against that. Start with the most recent one, work your way backwards. And just as a, a side note, I'm actually in the process of launching a new podcast and associated uh, YouTube show with it. It'll be called That One Thing, and it is a cooking podcast about that one thing that makes a meal outstanding. Oh, wow. So that should be coming out probably, I'm thinking, the beginning of December. See, nice. see, there you go, coming up with interesting ideas for podcasts. I mean, that's really cool. Like, I would almost... I almost always want to be on that show, you know, because I mean, I'm a, I'm a, I mean, I'm vegan, of course, but I'm still a bit of a cook, you know, so. I'm actually a culinary school dropout and I've worked in the culinary industry on and off for 20 years. And it's always been something kind of in the back of my head to start a show. And I actually had a, a PR company reach out to me looking to sponsor the first season. So I just said, well, what the heck, let me give it a shot and see how it goes. That is awesome. And incidentally, I'm a, uh, I'm a veteran of the food service industry as well. I spent 10 years in that industry, and I have a... Uh, Don't you have a culinary degree? I have a culinary yeah. degree myself. Yeah. Oh, cool, cool. Yeah. So, so, yeah, I, sp I spent 10 years in that industry, so I can relate. Fuck yeah. Well, good. I hope you'll check it out then. Oh, definitely. I definitely will. But, yeah, that, that's cool. I mean, we, we're also thinking about getting into the YouTube game as well. Yeah, yeah, we're kind of trying to figure out what type. I mean, we put our shows on YouTube. As of today, I actually made sure that YouTube was updated with everything. Yeah, yeah, so, so check out our YouTube channel. It's fully but updated. It's just mostly the audio stuff right now. I'd like to have some, you know, YouTube content on both Collateral Cinema and Gaming. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, uh, uh, Julia, do you have a Patreon or anything you want to plug? Nope, not at all. Oh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> I'm good. Right on, right on, right on. Well, as far as Collateral Cinema is concerned, this is season six. So we're going to have a very interesting season this year. Hell yeah. I'm calling this the fun season because pretty much all of our movies that we're doing are fun. Yeah, you know? I agree. 
we're doing every like we're doing uh, the Monster Squad and the Goonies, you know. So I mean, yeah, it, it's actually gonna be a blast. I I really am happy with the picks this season. Yeah, we got like what Spaceballs, Spaceballs, Silent Hill. Yeah, what else? Uh, yeah, that that was uh, that was one of my picks. Yeah, Corvette Summer. You know, Mark Hamill and Annie Potts. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you guys have got some great stuff there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we got some interesting stuff. Like, yeah, um, I'm trying yeah, to see great. what else. Uh, we actually are celebrating our, you know, uh, because we're it's been five years. We're doing something special for our Mikaversary. We're gonna do a redux of audition. Yeah. And we're gonna go ahead and take a look at Ace Attorney. Make that a collaboration with Collateral Gaming because I love the Ace Attorney gaming video game series. So. Yeah, yeah, the Ace Attorney gaming series is awesome. And to hear that Miike did a movie uh, <laughs> adapted from that is just chef's kiss. Oh, hell yeah, man. <laughs> hell yeah. Yeah, and yeah, we're going to have a lot of interesting content this season. Uh, let's see, what else? Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, 1990, we're doing that. Hell and, yeah. And we're also doing Clueless, so... Hell yeah. Ah, uh, yes. Alicia Silverstone, everybody's favorite. Oh, yeah, man. And, and Clueless is such a great movie. It, it's the first true demisexual movie, so mm-hmm. I'm excited about that. But, yeah, ladies and gentlemen, we do hope that you, uh, that you follow us this season. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, uh, Facebook, and also check us out on YouTube. Also, we do have a Patreon-exclusive uh, full-length commentary out for the first time in years so it's a perfect time to go check out our patreon we just did the buttercream gang yeah the buttercream gang like if you're a fan of the cinema snob or if you uh, were a christian uh, and went to youth group back in the day in the 90s you know this movie well time to get buttercreamed time for the buttercream my favorite part was was whenever you said it's buttercream in time and then buttercreamed all over everybody (laughs) oh yeah it's buttercream in time But yes, definitely check that out. And we are definitely going to have uh, more Patreon content coming. We're going to try to release at least one commentary there a month from now on. You know, so, so yeah, definitely join us there. We have $1 and $5 tiers. And also uh, give us a five-star review on, and, and also uh, Juliet's uh, podcast as well. Give us a, all a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Feedback on your platform of choice. Well, on your platform of choice, you know, Pod, pod Chaser, Good Pods. Yeah, you know? yeah, because, y- you know, it, it, it helps. It helps us independent podcasters out. Definitely, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, de- it's definitely the best way that you can help an independent podcaster other than, you know, donating money. Right. But, and also, pretty soon, yeah, look for maybe some live streams coming your way from us. You know, we might do some Q&A live streams here and there. Maybe some Let's Plays of some of our favorite video games, just for the hell of it. Hell yeah, hell yeah. So, we got some interesting content coming this season. So, definitely stay tuned. And we definitely uh, want you to check out Juliet Miranda's podcast, The Unrival Rant. Definitely go check them out. And Miss Miranda, it was really a joy having you on this uh, this episode. Oh, thank you. You know, I don't get enough of an opportunity to talk about horror movies, so I had a great time. I really thank you so much for having me on. Well, hey, anytime. If you ever want to talk about another horror movie, like just let us know. Like we will be okay. down for it. Okay, I love it. Hell yeah, hell yeah. Well, anyway, folks. Season six of Collateral Cinema is a go. I'm Bo Maddox. I'm Ashley Chancellor. I'm Juliet Miranda. 
and this was the season premiere of Collateral Cinema. Stick around, folks. This season's going to be fun. Oh, and Slav Ukraini, fuck Roe versus fuck the Supreme Court for Roe versus Wade. Fuck all that noise. So, yeah. Laters. Collateral Cinema is a collateral media podcast. All music and movie clips are owned by the respective creators and are used for educational purposes only. Please don't sue us. We're poor.